Now you know why I brought Elmer along, right? Uh, he's a good brother, even if he is old. But I have to confess, the other morning we were standing in the motel by the uh, elevator, and it was kind of full and busy, and Elmer takes off up the steps. So me, the young guy, I just go along behind him, and and then uh, he did kind of stop and say, I used to do these two at a time. Now I just do them one at a time. But it's been uh, really, as he already said, I'm not going to recapture everything he said, because... Because I want to preach a message. Um, just feel like I need to do that this morning because, again, we heard that you love the Word. <laughs> and um, But it's been rich to be here. It is every time Karen and I come and Karen sends her greetings to all of you. I think the last two days have been completely full of taking care of grandkids. And so she's been having fun, but she keeps checking in with me. And... Uh, she uh, she cares about all of you, and so she sends her greetings. But uh, I just want you to know that, that we heard you. Everything that Elmer just said, you said to us. So we're just saying back to you what, what you said to us. And so I hope you felt heard. I hope you felt understood. Um, that can be a start of some healing and some hope. And I know our desire is that when, when we head out this afternoon, that, that the Spirit of God begins to ignite a flame of hope and, and peace and joy uh, that, that at least for maybe some of you, you haven't had for a while. So it's, I'm learning to love you guys. God's, God's kind of just doing this thing in me, and every time we come... It's like, oh, I'm starting to really love these people. And uh, I know that you love each other. And sometimes we just don't know how to do that. <laughs> and um, I do want to say that it's a good time to be a part of the church. These are exciting days to be a part of the church. We don't have anything to be afraid of. We don't have to kind of circle the wagons. And the reason is is because Jesus is our king. And if Jesus is our king, somebody who, who went to the cross and went into the grave and the, the power of God brought him out of the grave and he's interceding in, for us right now in heaven, I, don't, I think we're okay, church. I think we're okay. It kind of goes to the core of everything we believe and everything that the Scripture says. But it's a good time to be the bride of Christ. And, and I just, my sense is in these last several years in the church, the broader church, uh, there, there's a preparation for the bride to walk down the aisle. I mean, for whatever reason, God has just been burning that picture in my mind. And in my heart the last year and a half or two, just the, the picture of the bride getting ready to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. And I don't know how you guys do weddings out here, 
But every every wedding I've been a part of, which is oh, quite a few as a pastor, I only have one daughter. But but even that one, I mean, I remember like you know, so the wedding's at two o'clock, and the girls are saying we're going to be here at six o'clock. You know, well, what are they doing? <laughs> They're getting ready. I mean, the toenails, the fingernails, the hair, you know, the hair. <laughs> Elmer doesn't have to deal with that. <laughs> but but there's there's looking in the mirror. There there's there's all these girls and moms and aunts and whatever and and everybody's looking at everything from every angle. Not not to be nitpicky, not to be but to get ready. To get ready to not walk down the aisle. And there's looking in the mirror. I mean, that's what God is doing with His church. He's getting us ready to walk down the aisle. Can, can we receive that? If you got your Bibles this morning, and I'm pretty sure you do, or at least you got a device or something, It's Greg, right? Teaching Sunday school this morning. Talking about the books of the Bible. We're going to be in Philemon this morning. And if you don't know where Philemon is, because he's still back in the Old Testament, you're going, to, you're going to get to the New Covenant, at least those in that Sunday school class. But find Hebrews and turn back a page, and you'll find Philemon. And I just felt... Um, I, I just wanted to share with you uh, just a, a story in the Scriptures about... Brothers and sisters, and how they do life together. And I've just, I've just fallen in love with, with this little letter. It's like it's split up into twenty-five verses, and uh, we don't look at it very often. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a, a sermon based solely on the Book of Philemon. Great, awesome, but there's a lot of you haven't, so we're going to do one today. So, I guess I've got a clicker here I've got to remember to use. Um, so, as we think about being the church and, and sharing our faith and living out the gospel, I think there's some truths we can learn from this little letter. So, just, just a little background um, on the main characters of the story. There we go. Um, and kind of the situation they find themselves in. And, uh, there's, there's three main characters. In this letter, and then there's a couple other ones that, that kind of have their own significance in the broader story. But first, we have Paul. What do we know about Paul? He he persecuted the church. He was a nasty dude. And and then he had an encounter with who? With Jesus. Encounters with Jesus. Change people. Encounters with Jesus change situations. And Paul now, as a believer in Jesus, here in this letter, he identifies himself as a prisoner for the sake of Christ. He's willing to do whatever for the sake of Christ. And, and he's the one that wrote the letter. And he's, in, he's actually in Rome under house arrest, awaiting trial and it's kind of from this less than, than glorious setting that Paul writes this personal letter, this very personal letter to Philemon. He's writing a, 
he writes a letter to the, the whole church in Colossae, what we know as Colossians. And he also writes a letter to his friend Philemon. And then he had to send these two letters at the same time with the same travelers. And one of those was Onesimus, who we're going to meet in a minute. And so Colossae was about a thousand miles away from Rome. And so he needed somebody to take his letters a thousand miles. And he couldn't call the Pony Express and he couldn't, you know, click and send. So he had to find somebody to take the letters. So who... uh, Who is uh, Philemon? Philemon's a Christian. Philemon's a follower of Jesus. He's a church leader. And he owns slaves. Yes, you heard me right. Philemon was a Christian and he owned slaves. And he was a leader in the church in, in Colossae. And the church even met in his home. And Philemon was a close friend of the Apostle Paul. And his life, just like Paul's, was changed forever when he became a Christ follower And it was most likely because of Paul's ministry of the gospel to him and his family. And then we have Aphia. Aphia is mentioned in verse 2. She's most likely Philemon's wife. And she would have had a huge role in the church because it met in their home. And she would have been providing the hospitality, as Elmer referenced already. Uh, We experienced a lot of hospitality these last several days. And I will say it was the women. Well, Levi might have thrown something in the smoker. I'm not sure. But but Aphia was a huge part of the church. And then there's uh, Archippus. Yeah, we don't know for sure, but most, most people think Archippus was Philemon and Aphia's son. And so what we do know is that Paul was a close friend of this family. They had a huge impact in his life. And... Uh, and Paul is writing them this, this very personal letter to good friends, and he's writing from prison. And then we got one more guy here that we need to talk about, this, this Onesimus. We're going to see him come into play a little further along in the story. And so while Philemon was a slave owner, Onesimus was a runaway slave. Onesimus was a runaway slave, and on top of it, he was owned by Philemon. And it seems as, as though Onesimus, who worked in Philemon's household, from what we understand, it feels like he stole something. It seems like he stole something and then ran away. I love this part of the story. So somehow, by, by God's sovereign design or some, some design or plan that we're not privy to, Onesimus ran the thousand miles from Colossae, which I don't know if you can, yeah, right up in there, over in present-day Turkey. And he ran the whole way across the Aegean Sea and Asia Minor and Greece and the Adriatic Sea and Italy, or else he went down around the whole way up across the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know. But uh, what we do know is he comes in into contact with this gospel-proclaiming Paul who is in prison who was a good friend of Philemon, the very person that Onesimus is running away from. How how do you arrange stuff like that? And then Paul testifies of Jesus to Onesimus and leads him to faith in Jesus. And Onesimus starts 
being the church, starts serving the church by caring for Paul in prison. It's like, don't you just love when stuff like that happens? I can tell by your faces, I think you're getting a picture of what's going on here. So before we go any further, there's some things we need to know about slavery in the first century. The Roman Empire was built on slave labor. And whenever the Romans would would conquer some new territory, they added more slaves to the Roman territory. I've actually read where where rich Romans would have as many as like 10,000 slaves. That's a lot. And I, and I say that to say that, that slavery in the first century, when the gospel was being introduced to the culture, was so commonplace that no one gave it a second thought. There was little protection for slaves because they were regarded as property. Owners could mistreat and even kill their slaves with little worry of any legal repercussions. The law of the day actually allowed for an owner to kill a runaway slave. I hope you're starting to get the picture of what this relationship between Anesimus and Philemon, the owner and the runaway, it's kind of serious. It's kind of serious, especially for Anesimus. This is, like I said, part of the, part of the culture that the gospel was confronted with in the first century. How did Paul and the early church leaders begin to make inroads of cultural change? Was the gospel going to change the culture? Or was the culture going to change the gospel? I think we can find that at both, or at times, both happened. Both happened. And these are some of the same questions we wrestle with today. What are the cultural issues, some that we may not even see because they're so commonplace that need adjusted by the truth of the gospel? And how, how do these slow changes happen? I want to come back to those questions shortly. All right, so let's reset. Paul now has, just pay attention, Paul has two good friends, both are believers, Both are followers of Jesus who had one time lived in the same household, but are now at odds with each other because one had offended the other by stealing from him in his own house, and the one actually has legal rights, according to the law of the day, to kill the other. And now a thousand mouths separates them, but Paul discerns that it's time for some reconciliation. It's time for teaching the church. It's time for bringing about social change. And he does it by appealing to love. Remember, love... I think I preached this in February. I I had to think of this while you were teaching this morning, Greg. I remember I was here on Valentine's Day. Half of you weren't because it was zero degrees and blowing snow. But I, but I opened up leading with some verses out of Song of Solomon. I don't know if anybody remembers that or not. <laughs> But uh, anyway, that's just a little aside. Won't charge you a thing for that. Uh, <laughs> but Paul appeals to, to love, the spirit, fruit of love. It's the spirit of Jesus that God pours out into those who are surrendered to him. Well, let's just read the letter. It might be time to read the letter. 
It's nice and short. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend, and our fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in our home. I can just I can just imagine uh, when the church received this letter, when Philemon received this letter, and they're all sitting around, and maybe in a circle. I don't know if they sat on the floor or had lazy boys or what. But Paul's a thousand miles away in prison. Paul's had a huge influence on their life. And the letter arrives. I can just imagine the anticipation of reading that letter to the group. This is what Paul said to them. He said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I'm just going to pause for one more second. Can you imagine how that made them feel? Here's their mentor, the one who led them to Christ. And he's saying, "I'm, I'm over here in prison, but I am always thanking the Lord for you. You know how that makes you feel, right? When somebody says, wow, that's that's had a huge influence in your life and and they're actually expressing gratitude to you and concern for you. That that does something to us. Verse 6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who has become my son while in chains. While I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that, so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I, don't, I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he has separated you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you could consider me, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Did you hear what he just said? Welcome this guy who stole from you, your runaway slave. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And then he closes with, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there it is. This little letter from Paul to, to, to Philemon. And it's on behalf of Onesimus. Well, we don't know all the conversations that may have happened at an earlier time between Paul and his friend Philemon regarding how living the Christian life and owning slaves is not compatible. But what we do know is that in all of his writings in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, never condemned slavery. Rather, he wrote about how slaves and masters should relate to each other. Now, we need to understand something. That doesn't mean that Paul approved of slavery. But think about it. What, what if Paul would have just kind of kept railing about, about slavery and, and saying, slavery is wrong, slavery is wrong, slavery is wrong, and posting all kinds of stuff on Facebook and all that kinds of things they did back then? You know, slavery just doesn't match up with God's design. It's terrible. Well, just saying that doesn't provide any power to change the culture. So we don't know how Paul shared the gospel with with this runaway slave, this thief, Onesimus, in such a way that he believed, that he believed that, that as a thief and a slave he had value as a person. And that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, that, that, that Onesimus, the thief, the slave, could actually begin to call God Abba Father. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here, brothers and sisters. And, and he was made new and he was forgiven of his thievery. And now he could understand that he was actually... He could actually return to the person who had legal right to kill him and be reconciled. That doesn't happen apart from the gospel. See, see, the power of the gospel is, is we can never go back and change those hurtful words that we said. We can only go on. I can't, man, there's so many things, especially in my first 30 years of life, I wish I could change. Things I did, not nice things. You wouldn't like me, apart from the Spirit of God in me. I can't go back and change those things. They hurt people. But the power of the Gospel says, we don't have to go back and change them, because we can't. But the Spirit gives new life. Jesus covers sin, and we can move on. And joy and freedom. We can never go back and change what's happened. It's, it's that same gospel that, that the Apostle Paul declares in Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes. Do we believe that? The gospel is the power of God for the salvation 
of everyone who believes, and I'm not ashamed of it. See, salvation, when you kind of start dicing into the, to the roots of the words of salvation, it means to live open and wide and free. Open, wide, and free in spirit. It actually begins to affect our, our physical bodies. You, you, you want to take... We, we've either experienced it or we know people, right? They're all locked up in pain. Spiritual pain. Emotional pain. And it, it actually affects our physical bodies. And you know people or you live open and free. That's what salvation means, to be able to live. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Can, can we say that this morning? Can, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. In other words, everyone who believes in the gospel can begin to live open and free and not bound by what happened yesterday or last year or when I was 29 or when I was 17. Back to our letter. I got a... Oh, man, it's quarter to 12. All right. Well, lunch is here and there's pickles here if you're hungry. So, so how did how did how did Paul um, how did how did Paul begin to to kind of bring into Philemon what was important? What did he appeal to? Well, he appealed to grace. He starts this letter and he ends this letter with grace. He says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." And at the end, he says, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit." I often say, if you've heard me preach in the last two or three years, you've heard me define grace as divine influence in the heart that begins to reflect in the life. It's not, it's not just something that God kind of gives us. It's, it's divine influence. God gives it to us, but it comes into us and then reflects back out of us. Just read it this way. The divine influence in your heart that reflects in your life. Of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. I love that definition of grace. It's an old Strong's definition. Divine influence in the heart. In other words, it's coming from outside of me, from God Himself, and begins to reflect in us. And Paul appeals to that to Philemon. Why? Because that's the only way this situation is going to be reconciled. Something bigger than ourselves. God Himself. Jesus. can almost exchange it with Spirit. Paul appeals to grace. The second thing I see is this appeal for Philemon to exercise his faith. Exercise. Be active and living and sharing your faith. Philemon, live like you actually believe that the the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all those who believe. Exercise that. Be active in that. Do do you know what happens? This is a a great question. Do you know what happens? Because I'm asking. Do you know what happens when, when, when we actually begin to exercise our faith? 
Do you want to know? Oh, the answer is too easy because Paul gives it to us. He says you will then have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Wow. If we actually begin to be active and exercise our faith, we will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And then we're going to start seeing things that don't make sense happen. There's no logic to them. We're going to see things happening in people's lives or in situations that are supernatural. You know, the opposite of exercising our faith is us being in control of everything that happens. And then what we're going to see is only what we can accomplish. And brothers and sisters, that's a far cry from every good thing that we have in Christ. Amen? Great. You're waking up. Woo, let's go. Um, all right, thirdly, i got to roll. Paul appeals to the spirit fruit of love in Philemon. He says, Philemon, your authentic love brings joy. It encourages. It has refreshed the hearts of many. Paul, Paul, I think, is hinting that that same spirit fruit of love would go a long way in encouraging and refreshing Philemon's new brother in Christ, his runaway slave, Onesimus. Fourthly, I see Paul reminding his friend Philemon, this, this wealthy church leader, this, this new believer, this, this new brother, this slave Onesimus, would actually be capable, capable of doing the very things for Paul that Philemon did. That's what he says. He says, Paul says, he says, he's now doing the very things for me in the ministry of the church. That you did. See, there's something about, I think John or somebody said it this morning already, the cross levels the playing field. Onesimus and Philemon, they're both on equal ground. Paul says that. He says, Onesimus is doing the very things that you did for me in serving the church. One, the rich, wealthy guy the other, the thief, the runaway slave. But now because of Jesus, they're both serving the church. It's amazing. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can do that. You know, Paul could have commanded Philemon to do what he needed to do. But you know what? Commanding somebody to do something doesn't reveal the joy of heart change. Don't you just love when some, somebody does something out of a response of something that's happening in their heart and not simply by command? Think about your own children. If they're just doing it because we told them, well, it's nice because it makes our life easier. But when they begin to do things out of, ah, they didn't get asked, they're not being told, it's just out of beginning to be who they are. That brings us joy. All right. And finally... Paul shows us the heart of the gospel, and, and this, is, this is the best part of it all, as he's willing to be Jesus in this situation. Paul says, if, if he, Onesimus, has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to me. 
Paul was willing to do in this situation to reveal the power of the gospel for salvation, what Jesus has done for all of us, for all people. Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price. He bought us out of our sin and rebellion. He paid for all that we owe. And he said, charge it to me. And Paul says, if Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, you charge it to me. I'll cover it. Onesimus or, or Paul is being the gospel in this situation. I love that picture. Charge it to me. Man, Jesus had to pay a lot of stuff for me. But he kept doing it. Charge it to me. Charge it to me. Well, what happened? What's the rest of the story? Did Onesimus take, or did Philemon take Onesimus back as a brother in Christ? Everybody likes to know how the story ends, right? In fact, some of you, when you read a book, you pick it up and you read the last chapter because you can't wait to know. I know, there's people like you. Because we don't want to have to live out the story. We just want to live in the end. But what gives me excitement in this story is the journey of the story. Because there's an exercising of faith. And then we get to see what God is doing the whole way through. Well, the story isn't over. Because the gospel's still at work. And appeals to grace, an authentic spirit, fruit. Fruit of love still have the power to reveal to the world the full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, those changes, those cultural changes can take generations. But don't give up on the gospel. I beg you, don't give up on the gospel. Oh, yeah, Onesimus. The runaway slave, the thief, who was changed by the power of the gospel. Christian tradition suggests that Philemon took him back. And took him back as a brother and received him into his own household again. And then Onesimus became a bishop in the church in Ephesus. The power of the gospel changed a family and a network of friends. And it changed Ephesus and Colossae. And it's still changing. I love this story. Well, in closing, I'd like to invite all of us, including myself, to think about about this amazing little letter in the context of the 21st century. There are some social and cultural problems that just don't line up with Christian principles, aren't there? Yeah? Well, the church started out in the first century facing all kinds of cultural problems. And we were confronted with one of them in today's text, slavery. And the Apostle Paul, just like Jesus, didn't find solutions in railing against society, but rather he appealed to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it had to start in the hearts of believers. 
It had to happen right in Philemon's own household if it was going to change a larger network of, of families and friends in Colossae and Ephesus. Imagine with me what the power of the gospel could do right here in rural Missouri in impacting our cultural problems. Could you imagine what could begin to happen? But it's going to have to start right in our own families. How is grace, how is that divine influence in the heart reflecting in the life impacting our own Christian households? How is authentic love encouraging and bringing joy to our parents and our spouses and our, our children and our siblings? Or are we just so locked up with all kinds of, of offenses and, and harsh words that we've heard and abuse and stuff that we just can't even begin to receive or offer love? And, and finally, we can and we do and we, we come up with a thousand excuses of of why we can't and we shouldn't extend grace or exercise faith or give lavish love in all kinds of situations that we find ourselves in. And we justify why it just won't work in our situation. And brothers and sisters, I'm concerned for the church that that has become such a social and cultural norm just like slavery was in the first century, that we don't even see it anymore. And I think it's fair to ask, how's that working in our families? How's that working in our congregations? How's that working in our communities? just to be all locked up with all these offenses that is so normal right now. I'm just afraid we don't even see it. Or, are we willing to say like Paul, anything that is owed, any wrong that has been done, whatever the offense is, I will take it on myself, charge it to me, and let the offender off the hook. power of the gospel salvation brothers and sisters we can campaign and complain about all our cultural problems and we do but it really has no biblical precedent the power of the gospel for salvation and exercising our faith pouring out lavish love is the new testament model It's going to bring change. One last thing yet. Some of you I don't know very well. Some of you I'm getting to know better. And I love that because I love people. I love the church. I want to share one last scripture with you this morning. Psalm 139. It's this beautiful psalm of David. Poetry, Greg. 
first part of this song is about how we're knit together in, in, in our mother's womb. And, and um, you know, where can we go from your presence, Lord? And then David, the psalmist, wraps that beautiful poetry up with these two verses. With this, with this heart cry. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Man, we're living in a time where we've got so many anxious thoughts about all kinds of things. Test me, know my heart, God, just know me. We want to be known, don't we? I had this deep sense this week that many of you just want to be heard. We want to be known, and David's inviting God to know him. Know my anxious thoughts. And then, and then he says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The King James uses, would say, see if there's any wicked way in me. Just this spring I discovered something about, about that offensive way or that wicked way. That, that the Hebrew term or the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's used here, it was only used about two times that I could find in the Old Testament. So there's lots of references to wicked in the Old Testament. It has to do with morality. This is different. This term in the Hebrew means, see if there's any pain in me, see if there's a wound in me that's become an idol. Test me out, God. I want to know if there's a pain or a wound in me that's become an idol. How, how does a pain or a wound in me become an idol? It's when I start viewing everything about life and about who God is and the truth of His Scripture through a pain or a wound. So we're not seeing things clearly. And lead me in the way everlasting. And lead me in the way of Jesus. Lead me in the way of joy and peace. Lead me in that way of living open and wide and free. And I know in my own heart, God keeps peeling back the onion. Because I've got some old pains and wounds and some fresh ones. I don't think this was a, a prayer that David only prayed one time. And I would just like to ask you as a church this morning, I I heard some pain and wounds coming out the last three days. Some from long ago, some from real recent. I just invite us as a church this morning to, to ask the Lord to show us any pains or wounds in us that have become idols. That that keep us from seeing life the way it's to be lived. That keep us from seeing God for who He is. That keep us from actually, like, not just knowing the Scriptures, but seeing it clearly. Just as Paul kind of revealed to us in his letter to Philemon about how to deal with pains and wounds. We have them, don't we?
not sure how to close. I know some of you are hungry. Some of you want to talk to Jesus a little bit. I think some of you might even need to talk to each other. Walk across the aisle and say, you know what? This just isn't worth it. I'm willing to pay the price and I'm willing to take it on me. I'm willing to receive back the the thief, the slave, the runaway. So carry carry these this message into the week. Anesimus went a thousand miles to find reconciliation with Philemon. He didn't jump on a plane. It was months of hard travel to go have reconciliation. I think as brothers and sisters in the church, we can walk across the aisle or we can butt in line because we need to talk to somebody at the fellowship meal and give them a hug and tell them we love them. We can go have breakfast or coffee next week. Brothers and sisters, don't allow this cultural norm of offense to bind us up as the body of Christ because it's time for the church to be the church. It's getting time to walk down the aisle. And we're being made ready. Sometimes we've got to look in the mirror. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray. And I think if you want to go to the fellowship meal, you go, you go eat. If you want to come up and pray, do you have a, yeah. Well, let's just sing together. Let's just sing and then I'll pray. Awesome.